0: Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom.
1: We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Hello again. Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas. This is Christine and Corey. Hi. And we are super excited because today is our first interview. Yay. <laughs> and we are interviewing Nina Marie from Mama Wheel. And this episode is going to be all about postpartum and supporting the postpartum mom. So before we get started, we wanted to give a brief little introduction on Nina. She is a certified labor doula, a certified postpartum doula, a lactation educator, an FNTP, and she is currently studying to be an ND, a naturopathic doctor and Nina loves working with postpartum moms which is why we are talking her talking to her today and she wanted to share a fun little uh fun little <laughs> background info on herself which is that when she was younger she had two childhood career dreams one was to be a paleontologist the other was to be jlo's backup dancer What's that? jlo um you can reach me at at mama wheel on instagram
0: (laughs) (laughs) never too late live those dreams i love
2: it
1: (laughs) definitely not so without further ado here is nina also known as jlo's future backup dancer (laughs) hi everyone it is a pleasure to be here with you all
2: christine um I'm really excited to chat with you guys about postpartum care. Oh, and Corey, of course, there's two, Corey and Christine. I'm glad to be with both of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Nina,
0: usually we start our um, episodes with a little um, snippet. And today, the snippet that we're going to share is um, what our favorite postpartum item, food, uh, tool whatever it is that helped either us get through postpartum the postpartum period or you know your clients so do you have one to share
2: i just thought of something that i loved (laughs) that i would tell everyone to do if you are a breastfeeding mom uh walking around bare topped or (laughs) braless is the best hack ever um I don't think I wore a bra the first year after having a baby. Stop so that's it! Probably, Wait a minute.
0: Like what? How did you catch all the milk that came out?
2: <laughs> I didn't have to deal. I didn't deal with any leaking. Oh, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. So I didn't. Ha- I never had to worry about an oversupply or anything like that. Um, so no bras year one. <laughs> Man,
0: wow. full access. I mean, yes. Okay, seriously though, if I had done that, it. it my shirts just would have been completely soaked (laughs) for like four months. Okay. Maybe, maybe this is going to be the episode that gets a little too personal, but that's, that's the truth.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. Was that TMI? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Corey, what was your favorite postpartum (laughs) product or food? (laughs) Clearly breast
0: pads were a big deal. Um, (laughs) Okay, so after my fourth baby was born, <laughs> I was, I started buying these lactation cookies that were not like not standard lactation cookies. They were like, um, uh, um they, they didn't have like a bunch of sugar in them. They were fruits. I think they were sweetened with dates and they had um, oatmeal and brewer's yeast and chia seeds and flax seed. And I don't know that kind of stuff. And I, think I probably lived on those for the first couple months until we got out of that newborn stage. I mean I ate other things obviously, but there's you're so snacky, you know, you get so hungry. And um that I yeah, I I ate a lot of those.
1: That's those sound delicious, I'm not gonna lie.
0: (laughs) I don't remember the where I know where I I got them from, but I don't remember what they were called. Um But I also – so I I just made a meal to take to my friend who had a baby last week. And I made her some lactation cookies that were basically the same thing. Um, So they weren't difficult to make. And if you could make them maybe before you had the baby and freeze them, then you'd probably be set on that.
1: That is a great tip. Um, Okay, so – this might be TMI as well, but my my favorite product was actually from this company that used to be known as Earth Mama Baby Organics. They changed their title now. I can't remember what they are now. Um, and they had a postpartum kit, and the postpartum kit came with. They still they still have it, and it comes with this spray bottle that is for the perineum and just you know healing postpartum and the coolest thing is it sprays upside down and it's just this like healing mist herbal like mist spray that you spray in your nether regions (laughs) and (laughs) it was on I mean it sounds crazy but this is my favorite postpartum product it was incredible it was I very much. I I send it to any friend that I know that's having a baby. <laughs> <So that was laughs> well, it makes sense. I
2: mean, it, you're taking care of the one area that is the most affected that made you postpartum. So kudos to Earth Baby Mama Organics thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yes. And yeah, we, I guess we should add here that we will add the links in the show notes for um, walking around topless and uh, cookies, lactation cookies, and perineum spray.
2: (laughs) I do also tell my clients, um, I take, so when I'm doing labor doula work, I take bone broth with me to labor, so that that's something she has to sip on immediately postpartum. Uh, So that's definitely a food recommendation i would make is having healing bone broth you know um yeah i my first baby was not
0: a weston a price baby but after every single one of my kids has been born that's the only thing i have craved it's the first Hmm. thing i've craved and i had all my kids in the hospital so i would i had my mom bring me bone broth
1: every time wow that's amazing That's a very, you're very lucky to have your mom bring you bone broth. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Okay,
0: so let's dive in. Um, Nina Marie, what is defined as the postpartum period and how long does it usually last?
2: So it's going to depend on who you ask. Um, In the United States, six weeks is typically the like period that's given as good enough time for you to recover. Most cultures actually have something between 40 days to up to like three months I've seen. Um, I personally like to look at the postpartum time as the first year For sure, but if if things are not addressed, if if a mother's health is not addressed in the first year postpartum, a lot of health issues can actually last a lifetime. So, depending on what happens in that first year, your postpartum ailments can be something that occurs for decades. Um, But if you want a like definitive time, I would say the first year is like however long you were pregnant should be the minimum amount of time that you take. For recovery is is my general rule
1: of thumb i guess wow there's uh the weston a price foundation talks about how it takes approximately three years hmm. for the woman to recover from one baby and i completely agree
0: does that get extended for breastfeeding
2: are you asking christine or me
0: i i'm just asking i don't know <laughs> Does anybody have the answer?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think that that might encompass breastfeeding. Most uh, breastfed infants or children, three years, I think, would be a a good general average as to when that would end. Um, I know that there is some extended breastfeeding, but I, I think three years is a good average. I think the World Health Organization for sure says two years, but depending on what part of the world you live in, four years is a recommendation Um, so there's just so much that changes during pregnancy. And then there, there are many things that occur as soon as the placenta is delivered. Um, there's a hormonal cascade, um, and then couple everything that's occurred in pregnancy with the strenuous activity of labor and delivery. And then on top of that, the extreme exhaustion, and breastfeeding, and then all of the like things that women take on today, like there's, there isn't enough time um, and care given to a woman in the postpartum period in order for her to have health. In my opinion, I think many of the ailments that women are dealing with now may stem from not taking care of themselves during pregnancy or preparing for pregnancy and then not taking care of themselves well
1: in the postpartum. Wow. I feel like that sounds about accurate. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about what do you know, okay, so in the past, and I guess when I'm talking about the past, I mean several generations in the past, Mm -hmm. what what did postpartum look like? Um, Let's talk a little bit about how a mother was traditionally cared for.
2: My favorite resource for this is the first 40 days. Um, It's a wonderful book and she gives a great overview on the different cultures. And so what I'll share is from what I've learned from her book Um, and maybe a few other things that I may have picked up elsewhere. I know that in China, There is this strict, um, tough love approach. Uh, You stayed home. Uh, You were to take a sponge bath and not shower because there's the risk of you getting cold. And cold is a no-no. You need to stay warm. Your vitality comes with heat. Um, You cannot read books because you might strain your eyes. And that's a no-no. You cannot watch Sad movies because then you're gonna have emotional upset and that's a no-no. Um and other people are to take care of all of the household duties, you're not a lift-a-finger at all. And um traditional Chinese medicine as well, um, they say if a woman like despises or rejects this kind of recovery, she's gonna experience this yin deficiency. So that's what like the light and health and vitality, and she can have insomnia, she can have night sweats, she can have hair loss, which we see a lot of with postpartum anxiety, we see a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression, um, uh, headaches, a lot of that occurs in the postpartum. And so there's something there to be told about resting and letting other people care for you. Um, And then a big like food tradition with Chinese postpartum care were soups. And eggs. If I remember correctly, the tradition was like a postpartum woman was going to eat eight eggs a day for the first for the first forty days, Um, and that was just normal in her care. Uh, Latin America has the cuarentena, which is a play in two words. You have quarantine. Everyone now knows what quarantine is, Um, and it also plays on the word forty, which means cuarenta. So there is a forty day period. Um, and all of her like home duties were also put on pause. Um, she was supposed to rest. She was supposed to safeguard herself against future exhaustion. Uh, chicken soup is really big during this time. She might wear a faja. So like belly binding is a part of this, um, And I I was also trained by a doula in belly binding for postpartum care. And this is really supportive for a few like practical reasons. All of your organs are shifting back into place. And if you've never been pregnant multiple times, I feel like I didn't experience this my first pregnancy, but every subsequent pregnancy, I felt kind of sloshy. There's no other way to describe it. Like things just moved and they had to move back and it felt weird after you gave birth, because they don't immediately, organs don't immediately go back to where they're supposed to. Um, So the faha, that cloth and belly binding can help with that sloshy feeling. Um, It's also supportive of the, uh, like many new moms in particular, uh, I would say modern new moms in particular don't know about breastfeeding. And so there's a lot of bad positioning and that ends up, women end up with a lot of back pain. So the Faha can also be supportive because as as someone is figuring out how to breastfeed with their baby um, to not have so much back pain. Um... India, there's a three month like postpartum care plan. Um, They had lots of soups, if I remember correctly. They would boil fresh milk three times. So, like, you boil it, let it cool, you boil it, you let it cool, you boil it, you let it cool, because it was going to break down the proteins to make it as easily digestible as possible to the mom. Um, There's lots of special spices. And then, if you had family members with like Ayurvedic, practices, then you've got herbal tonics for energy or immunity or lactation, or there was a lot of like warm oil massages. Um there there would be stuff like techniques to help her soothe and calm herself as well as teaching her how to help soothe and calm her baby. Um there's there's so many more. Uh may I'll do one more. In in Indonesia, there's this bright light, this is one of my favorites, uh, that they burn underneath the mom like literally a fire underneath her as she's sleeping to keep her warm. Um, And she would have a lot of, she would have her midwife come daily to visit her to make sure that she was fine, to give her a massage, to bathe her in therapeutic uh, baths. They would feed her jamu, which is a nourishing concoction of egg yolks, palm sugar, tamarind and healing herbs, and they would also do the wrapping of her belly for the uterine healing. So you would see that like uh, faha or the belly binding in that culture as well. And it was believed they had a special ceremony that they used the placenta with. And it, they believed that it had spiritual protective powers to safeguard the new mom from infection and illness. So there there were many different kinds of cultural practices, but I think the the theme in all of them was rest like that was a huge one you needed to rest and there was no argument over it warmth so ensuring that mom was warm and if we consider like heat leaving the body is not something that is helpful for us like we know that that can be a sign of hypothyroidism if we feel cold all the time we don't want our body to lower its metabolic rate and that occurs in cold um, bonding with your baby, so spending as much time with your baby as possible, and then nutrient dense foods were huge. You see a lot of cooked, stewed foods, foods, uh, so no raw vegetables at all. Um, you would see properly prepared grains in some instances, and so uh, it was also believed that properly prepared grains can be assist, uh, like an assistive food in producing a lactogenic food in producing milk. Um, and lots of fat and lots of protein. That Those were highly priced foods. A ghee was one of the fats that was used in India for making the stews and whatnot. And then herbs and spices as necessary. Um, so rest, warmth, bonding, and really, really good food.
0: That makes complete sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think wow. after my first baby was born... I definitely did not rest long enough, but every baby after that, I think I rested more and more and more and took just took that on more seriously with every baby. And this last one I was just like, no, nope, I'm gonna sit on the couch, you guys handle this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, good for you. I agree, Corey. Um each subsequent baby I rested more than the first. And this, I wish I had known about all of this after the first. Um, yeah, me too. I, I, I think one of the biggest problems in today's modern society when it comes to having kids is there is no discussion about postpartum. Yeah. It's just completely glossed over. There's all of this emphasis on uh, getting pregnant if you can't get pregnant, and then emphasis on the labor and the delivery. And all of the gifts for the baby and, and everything. And, but then, and then it's like the mom has the baby and people kind of just forget about her. And they're like, okay, all right, you've had the baby. Everything's good now. Um,
2: uh, there's a book called The Postnatal Depletion that describes this exact phenomena that you're talking about. And he mentions in there that the last time that mom is asked about is when that text message goes out, mom and baby, are like, baby's here, mom is safe baby safe or healthy or whatever it is. And then every question after that is, how's your baby doing? Is your baby getting bigger? Are they eating? Are they sleeping? And very few questions are then addressed to mom. And I think that that is a huge disservice to one, the mother and to the family unit in general. Um, Because if we're honest, moms are like the heartbeat. Of families. Not to be dismissive of the role of fathers, um, but there, there is a special gift that motherhood provides. Um, and when we're not caring for this heartbeat, um, the family falters in different ways.
1: Wow. That's really intense. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> Um, okay. So moving on, I think we, we've kind of talked a little bit about what postpartum looks like now for the mo for the modern mom. Um, but one of the things that we really wanted to focus on was the societal expectations that we have today for moms, this, this expectation of, okay, you need to lose weight. You need to go back to work. You have to bounce back and you need to go directly, uh, go back to caring for the household. Let's just I don't know. Talk a little bit about that. I actually
2: think that it starts in pregnancy, um, not necessarily in postpartum, because at least in the Western world, it's not the norm for women to be given paid maternity leave. And so most women are working up until the day that they start labor, And they have to save all of their paid time off. They have to save all of their sick days in order to have some type of, uh, if many women today are providers in their households. Um, And so they have to save these special things that are given as opposed to having uh, an employer honor the beautiful position of motherhood. Um, and allow for paid maternity leave or even paternity leave at that. And so it, it starts there. There's this disservice to pregnant women, but they have to work up until they give birth. And then they are only allotted a specific amount of time. Many moms, I, I knew, I used to work in a health clinic. I knew many moms who were back at work within two weeks after giving birth. And it was because they didn't have the paid time off. And their their provision to their family was necessary. Um, So that that diminishing of what a pregnant woman is doing leads to the diminishing of what she needs in her postpartum. And so there is definitely this cultural change occurring. I just don't think it's fast enough or broad enough in our culture um, where maternity leave is becoming more normal Uh, many people many women can have up to three months but it's not necessarily paid Uh, they can have further time if their employer is a lot for like a short short short-term disability after that Um, or if you're a teacher and like manage to like plan your pregnancy so you can give birth close to summer break then you get more time off kind of thing but that, that again like you have to plan these things in order to have an extended time like that just doesn't make sense. Um, so then if a mom wants to breastfeed, like she now, if she's home for six weeks, if she's home for two weeks, three months, six months, whatever it is, she now has this added pressure of trying to figure out pumping in the workplace in order to provide breast milk for her child. And that, and it, like the practical, like all the things you have to do to make pumping work in the workplace is so difficult. I had to do that with my first child. I worked for four months after having three months off. So up until he was like seven months old. And I remember I used to work in an an optometrist's office, like having to make sure that one of the exam rooms was available at a specific time where no patients were there so that I could pump. There were times where I was pumping an exam room and one of the doctors needed a tool that was in my room. So I'd have to like get up, get the tool, slip it through the door. Uh, Like it was just it was difficult. There was one time where I was pumping and I spilled milk all over my desk and then just cried. Like, like the having to manage pumping is hard. And then having to manage the mental, like, is this enough? Just adds to it. Like, did I produce enough milk today to make sure that my baby has enough milk tomorrow? Like there's so much added pressure when she has to return to work and she doesn't have the time to recover. And now like there, the all of these factors pile on on top of her. Um, and then if her partner is the breadwinner and he doesn't have paternity leave, then he has to go back to work immediately. And she's left with her newborn, oftentimes alone, maybe with other children, plus all of the work in the house. And so like there's... There are so many compounding factors that makes having a child almost impossible to manage. And I think that that may be part of the reason that fewer people are having children or even having fewer children or having children later, um, that we just we have lost the communal aspect of supporting mothers in such a sacred role of childbearing.
0: Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Oof,
2: <laughs> that sounded all heavy and doom and gloom. No, I
0: think this is an important conversation. Um, my so after our second baby was born, my husband was she was late. She was like three weeks late. Okay, and um, Ryan was teaching this class. He came home, my water broke, we went to the hospital, had the baby at like 5 a.m., and then he had to go back and teach the next day. So he literally left me at the hospital and had to go back and <laughs> and teach the rest of this course. Um, but, you know, that was our, our bread money, so it, it, there was no other option.
1: We want to pause for a moment to talk about one of our favorite podcasts. The Wise Traditions podcast is about food, farming, and the healing arts. Basically, it's about how to cultivate health through ancestral wisdom, backed by modern science. We've learned so much from this podcast and the foundation that puts it out.
0: As modern ancestral mamas, we don't always have time to read in-depth scientific studies, but we do have 30 minutes while we're washing dishes or sitting in the school car line. The topics the show covers are broad. Everything from what to eat, when you're expecting, to how sunlight nourishes the body, to how to keep children grounded in these turbulent times. Give a listen wherever you get your podcasts and or download the Wise Traditions podcast app from your app store. Okay, so we've got, you know, the information about how things are done in other cultures or or were done in ancestral sort of times and the juxtaposition of what we've got now, currently in our Western civilization, how can we uh, manage these two or blend these two worlds for the modern ancestral mama?
2: So I thought about this a little, and that I don't know that we can blend a culture of care with a culture of lack of care. Um, so I have this like conflicting thing going on inside my head. Like I I want to completely dismantle <laughs> the way that we care for postpartum women now and bring back what was done before. And I think that the main like the the biggest focus for that to occur would be that we have to rem- we are we are too much of an individualistic society. Um and I know that that's not true in every single person's life, and I'm generalizing with that statement. But the fact that that businesses don't care enough for their employees to ensure that they have recovered from a major physiological event um, shows us that there's a lack of care communally, at the very least. Um, so one, I think part of it can be Many women today are very independent, individualistic. And so I don't need your help is a is this thing that's built into us, if I'm honest, uh, that we're cultured with. Um, and that needs to be shed. Like we need to let go of this idea that we have to and can do everything. Um, I don't think that we're meant to. And that may sound super... Uh, anti-feminist. I don't know. Like, but w- why would you want to sacrifice your health and your body to try and do it all when you can gain more by including people in that? Um, so there needs to be this, like, breaking down of a wall where people go after pregnant women and postpartum women and ensure that they have what they need. And like, don't let a postpartum mom tell you, no, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And a postpartum mom to be willing to be vulnerable. And like, one of the things I tell a lot of my clients is the moment that someone tells you, hey, let me know when you need help. Like, don't, don't be like, I'll let you know pull out your phone, a notebook, whatever. I need you to come over Friday to help me with laundry. Like that's my laundry day. Like pencil them in immediately and let them help you. They mean it in that instance, just as much as you mean it, if it was like the roles were switched. Um, So I think that there needs to be this dismantling of women can do it all, let them do it all. um, Or I can do it all. Let me do it all. Because if we're completely honest, you can't. And the only way that you can is at the expense of your health. And if you're going to spend your health to try and do it all, you're only going to be a disservice to yourself and your family in the long run. Um, so I, I'm, I don't think that it's possible to um, blend modern care with ancestral care. I think that we need to go back to having these long periods of rest and not putting our identity in our vocation, because I think that's where the root is. Like We've identified ourselves with what we can do and not who we are, if that makes sense. So we need to know who we are and allow for others to be a part of that.
1: Wow, Nina. Um, no, I that's that's really deep. Um, I completely agree that there does need to be a breaking down of the current system f- uh, for postpartum moms. Um, I'm trying to think how so how could we support the modern ancestral mama? Uh, and as you were talking, one of the thoughts that popped into my head were, was the something as simple as creating a meal train. Yes. Um, so whether it's a meal train or like a care calendar, and getting together a few families or individuals that are willing to create meals for the mom, um, and and. Even, it doesn't even have to be meals. It can be, like you mentioned, someone coming over to hold the baby while mom sleeps or to do a load of laundry. Um, but yeah, involving the community, community as much as possible in as mom is recovering. Um, I don't know, Corey. One, oh. one
2: thing that I tell my clients is to make a list of all the things that they need done and put it on the refrigerator so that when someone comes and visits... Hey, can you take care of the next thing on that list and scratch it off? I really need help with putting the dishes away from the dishwasher. Like whatever it is, like put those kinds of things in a place and don't be ashamed to ask for someone to do that. Like it'll take them 10 minutes to load and unload your dishwasher. It's not a big deal. Or it'll half an hour while you guys are chit-chatting and you're nursing your baby, they could fold laundry for you. That's not a big deal. It's it's an act of service as you serve your body and your baby in that time. So that's leave a list on your fridge.
1: That's such a good idea. I was actually going to add one more, um, one more comment on the food thing. And this was me personally, but I, so my third baby was the most Weston a price baby. And I had to really tell myself that it was okay to receive any of the food that was given to me. Knowing that it was probably going to be conventional food, and so the person who put together my meal train um, was very sweet and just had a few specific requests, which were I was going to I specifically requested no restaurant food, and um, I think I asked for gluten free, uh, and other than that, I you know I received anything and and everything and from people with all different backgrounds in, you know, cooking abilities and nutritional backgrounds. And it was a lesson in humility and also just gratefulness to really be thankful for what you receive and, and eat it. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's food for your body. And it's something that I didn't have to cook and either for myself or for my family. Um, so yeah, I just want to add that little little piece there.
0: I did something very similar. After my last baby was born, I ordered a bunch of like gluten-free pretzels and crackers and things that I wouldn't normally buy. But I was like, I need to be able to feed these other children without getting up from the couch. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. I was just like, it's okay. Like we, we can do, you know, a month of this or even a couple months of this and we'll be fine. I actually think that's really important.
1: I guess giving ourselves grace. Yeah. So, um, so moving on, we want to talk also about postpartum recommendations under, so yeah, we talked a little bit about, uh, yeah, let's focus on self-care first. Okay. So,
2: sleep is huge. This is a huge, huge part of postpartum recovery. What
1: sleep? Wait, what sleep <laughs> yeah. are you talking about? <laughs>
2: so- I'm still not there. Okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will give you the facts about why sleep is important first. Um, your body's repair only occurs in sleep your body's detox. And this is really important for moms who may have had to have an induction or a C-section. Like there's a lot of pharmaceuticals in your body. Your body needs to detox. Sleep is where that's going to happen. Um, Digestion is at its highest during sleep. So, And sleep is probably a top two factor in perinatal maternal anxiety disorders, things like that. So postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, if a mother can have one stretch of four to five hours of uninterrupted sleep, her risk or even um, incidence, if it's already occurred, of anxiety and depression in postpartum diminishes by like 80% or something. So just by ensuring that she can have sleep, you can decrease those risks. Um,
1: Does it have sleep- to be during the day out of curiosity? No. I you're when you're with a
2: newborn, your day and nights are like wonky because your baby's day and night is wonky. You just need a, th- a like four to five hour stretch of sleep in that day. It doesn't okay. matter. I I mean, if it's going to be in the middle of the day, then you for sure want your blackout curtains. You want the room to be cool. You want some uh, some sort of thing to cover your eyes. No lights, as dark as possible, to mimic nighttime. Um, but four to five hour stretch will make all the difference in postpartum. So sleep is number one. Um, I think involving our partner is huge. Many women, like, I mean, and to some degree, it's completely understandable and necessary if you're breastfeeding, like your partner's not breastfeeding, you know how to soothe your baby, the boob always works. Um, very rarely does it not. So, but there are other ways to involve your partner to like give yourself a break And there are many women as well, if they're not the breadwinner and the husband is, they're like, I need to take on all the nights because he's got to go to work. And I think that that is unfair, if I'm honest, like he can handle one or two nights a week to make sure that you can sleep too. It's not, and he's probably having his sleep disrupted anyway. Um, It's not just you. So I think that is a really big piece, like ensuring that you're, you have a partnership in dealing with the extreme exhaustion of having a newborn. Um, And then skin to skin is really important to me. There's so many amazing like uh, realities or, or fun facts that come with skin to skin. Um, And and that's not just for mom and baby, but also dad and baby that I think would be beneficial in. So again, just go topless and enjoy your baby. (laughs) Oh my. Like for example, skin to skin is going to provide like metabolic stimulation for glucose regulation, for neurological stimulation, for calming and sensory stimulation, and it also provides temperature regulation. So this is my like most fun fact: your breast act like act as thermometers and thermostats. Like if you are nursing and your breast senses that your child is too cold. It this single breast that you're nursing on will increase by like two degrees. If it was if, if your child's too hot, it will decrease by like two degrees in order to help regulate your baby's temperature. Like crazy, my single boob can regulate my baby's temperature, like because yeah. we have skin
1: to skin. Your boob is a nest thermostat, yes. <laughs>
2: Modern ancestral mama,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> That's actually really cool.
0: That is very cool. I did not know. I mean, I knew it was a, I didn't know it was that intense. That's crazy. Wow.
1: And
2: it'll like simulate your baby's amygdala for emotional conditioning or fear conditioning. So like anything that you become afraid of, your baby in that skin to skin will also become afraid of or bond with you, emotionally bond with you or partner as well.
1: Wow. Wow. I had heard. Uh, or I knew that baby's saliva enters mom's breast milk, and then that signals uh, or that, that brings in information into mom's body as to what type of milk or if there's any antibodies or any specific enzymes that need to be produced for baby. Um, so there is this, and also the milk is uh, specific to the gender. So if you're feeding a male, um then you will have different milk for your male baby versus a female baby. I mean, let's be honest, this stuff is just so cool.
2: <laughs> it is amazing. And and not only does it produce like immunological support or gender support, it's also going to like it's going to change as baby grows, so that like you don't have to worry about changing formulas because your baby became a a different age that month or whatever. Like it's going to change according to your baby's day-to-day needs. Yeah, sometimes hour to hour, like, it just knows what it needs. And it's going to produce what your baby needs.
0: Okay, so while we're on the subject of breastfeeding, and um, is, is there um, credence to avoiding certain foods like broccoli or chocolate or garlic or whatever that
2: is?
1: Spicy foods? Yeah,
0: or milk or, you know,
2: Ah, okay. So baby's digestive system is immature until right. 3. Yeah. So any any food can become a culprit for baby simply because of the immature digestive system. So to some degree no, there's no credence. And then to another degree, uh, degree it depends on how sensitive your baby can be. So There are moms who eat spicy foods all the time and have no problems. Their babies have no problem. Um, So it's really an individualized approach, in my opinion. Um, I think too many mothers immediately go to, like, elimination diets. And what may actually be occurring is her own digestion is not optimal. And it's not – if we consider – breastfeeding. So I'm eating my food, the way the nutrients get to my baby through my breast milk is my body has to break down my food appropriately, in order for it to be taken up to my bloodstream to be sent to my mammary glands to then be sent through breast milk to my baby's digestive system. And so if my digestive system is not breaking the proteins down appropriately, that's what's being sent to my breast milk, and my baby's getting maldigested food proteins. So sometimes it's not that a baby is sensitive to a food, it's that a breastfeeding mom doesn't have really good digestion, and she needs to work on that. Um, So that's where I start with my clients before I have her go on some elimination diet because her baby is spitting up all the time. It's, okay, well, maybe you need digestive enzymes, maybe your stomach acid's low, maybe X, Y, or Z, because an elimination diet is just yet another stressor on an already exhausted mom that if if the key is let's take digestive enzymes for the next few months while you're nursing and not have to worry
1: about eliminating 17 foods,
2: you're going to empower her to be able to keep going.
1: Let's wow. I, yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Wait back up a little bit when you talked about spit up and (laughs) let's talk about reflux because I am seeing so many babies nowadays with reflux and practitioners are rushing to the meds and these specialty formulas for these poor babies. And it's, it just breaks my heart that I feel like we're creating, we're putting a Band-Aid instead of actually looking at the root cause of why some of these babies have reflux.
2: I mean, we see that same thing with adults. Like, we're not getting to the root cause with adults and reflux.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> What were you going to say, Corey?
2: I was going to say all of my babies spit
0: up like crazy people. Like all of them. No matter like if the, they were like my the Weston Price babies or not. What?
1: Like projectile?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was like we had a ridiculously huge stack of burp cloths. <laughs> for and, and all of them up until about uh, probably – eight or nine months, like after they'd been introduced to solid foods and were actually eating more solid foods and, you know, breastfeeding sort of less.
1: Thoughts, Nina?
0: That's when it would decrease, you're saying? Yeah, that's when it would decrease. It would decrease once they had started eating more foods than they were breastfeeding. I will say, I do- though, I, have, I had a very high supply.
2: Have had. I was just—I was going to ask. Like, it—it it could be your letdown. So many moms have a strong letdown, and there's just too much coming down that that baby's spitting it up because they just choked on it, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then my guess is you weren't changing you what you fed your babies. Correct? Like your food didn't change, and you were giving when they started to eat food. When you introduced food, they were eating what you were eating. Yeah. Okay, so then it can't be that it was necessarily a sensitivity to the foods that you were eating. They, because eat grains, they were but yes. Apart from that, my guess would be that it was potentially your letdown or your digestion. Yeah. One of the two. Because you were sense. able to introduce foods and things diminished. But if you had a strong letdown, that would be my first guess. And most moms that I've counseled through that would be, you'd have to like pump or manually eliminate some milk before feeding baby. So the letdown wasn't so strong.
0: Yeah. I mean, almost all of my babies would kind of like gulp through it, you know, they're like (laughs) five (laughs) minutes and done. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think we've touched on, do we touch on all the things? I mean, not all the things. There's like a lot of things.
1: Well, I I was going to say, we should definitely talk about nutrition a little bit.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Postpartum nutrition. This is also one of my favorite topics to talk about. But you go first, Nina.
2: No raw vegetables, please. Um, Mm, If you're going to have any vegetables, for sure, like six weeks minimum, make sure they're cooked and stewed for a long time so that your body can actually handle it because like your digestive system became somewhat weakened during pregnancy. um, And because of every, because of what occurs in labor, There's also this kind of like lax, like postpartum constipation is a thing for a reason, because your digestive system isn't optimal after having a baby. Um, So we don't want to consume foods that are going to make your body have to utilize its resources on digestion. Like you want to consume foods that are as bioavailable as possible, that require as little energy as possible to consume and absorb so that your body can use its resources for recovery, producing breast milk, tissue repair, detox, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so raw vegetables are a definite no. Um And I would focus on stewed meats, um, fats and protein. Like you want to sit there. If you're going to have any grains, I would for sure wait six weeks and uh, make sure that they're properly prepared. Many like grains in postpartum like cultural traditions, they were soaked for a long time. They were added to stews. So they were cooked for a long time as well. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that you I I won't say don't have carbs, um, because there are some, uh, issues with low blood sugar. And when you're so exhausted from the sleep deprivation, consuming a piece of fruit may be beneficial for you to have quick energy. Um, so that I would say to use carbs strategically if necessary. And apart from like stews and whatnot, um, was there something else? Like there's just, there are so many hormonal changes. Your body needs to recuperate hormonally and your hormones are created from fatty acids and amino acids. And so that should be a focus because you're going to need fatty acids and amino acids for milk production because of the hormones that make that happen um, to help balance out your estrogen again, your progesterone again, your cortisol, like all of those things are built from fatty acids and amino acids. And so that's where my focus is in the postpartum and using the carbs strategically for energy when needed. Like if you slept three hours and you know, you have to be up or your baby's been up crying for another hour, like having an apple or a bite of honey isn't going to kill you. It actually may help you. Um, So That would be where, like, my general rule of thumb for nutrition.
1: After my third, I craved uh, liver tonics like you wouldn't believe. And my mom came over every day for two weeks straight and would make me a raw liver tonic. Just like, and it was so delicious. And (laughs) I feel like it saved me. Um, for the first two weeks, so I'm putting a plug in for Pottinger's Liver Tonic in the Nourishing Traditions book. It's towards the back. Um, it's, like, it's
0: like a Bloody Mary, right? Without the oh my booze. gosh, it's so
1: delicious! If you've never had one before, I cannot eat. I cannot no. recommend it enough. I feel like so um, yeah, it's a Bloody Mary, but it has yeah no booze. Um, <laughs> Boo, just kidding. Yeah, it has. Raw, you grade raw liver into it and you put a little bit of, I don't remember what the original recipe is, but I think it was whey maybe, Um, but I do pickle juice and ginger and cayenne and lime and salt, lots of salt. It's so good. Seriously, make one for yourself tomorrow. (laughs) Um, so I, I've always,
0: so my first meal that I always crave is, is just bone broth, right? I said that, but after that, my sister-in-law, um, always brings over, I say always, I've had four babies, right? But she's (laughs) uh, brings over beef stew and that, that's like, and, and she, you know, she makes it a completely conventional way, but it, it still just feels like the most necessary thing you know it's got these big chunks of beef and then the stewed vegetables and i don't know there is something about that that like really does sit well it's satisfying yeah
1: it's warming um okay so we talked about all of the postpartum recommendations and I want to bring up postpartum depression because this is another one of those not talked about subjects. And I want to talk a little bit about treating it. Well, let's talk about identifying it, treating it, and then the big elephant in the room, which is to medicate or not.
0: Okay. So I do want to say that with my first baby, again, I did not do Weston Price with him or post after him, but, um, I was never diagnosed, but I am certain that I had at least postpart- postpartum anxiety, maybe depression. Um, and part of that was that, um, I I at least contributed, since I wasn't diagnosed that he was a terrible sleeper and would literally wake up every hour until he was 14 months old. At which point i was pregnant again so
2: (laughs) whoa i'm so sorry and
0: i was working and ryan was building a business and working like crazy and we never saw each other and all of these things and i would wake up i would have these nightmares um that like ryan woke me up in the middle of the night where i was digging through our sheets i was like where's the baby Where's the baby? I was having this nightmare where there was like a giant chasm in our bed and the baby had just fallen through the chasm and it, but it was like, that would happen a lot, not that specific dream, but it was, you know, instances like that. And I tell every single person that if you feel, you know, any, any form of that, talk to somebody, figure it out how to. Manage it because I remember so little of my oldest babyhood because I was so deep in that. And that is just heartbreaking to me. So, yeah, I want to hear what you have to say, Nina.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, I was just, gonna, I mean, <laughs> since we're sharing stories, I had something similar with my second as well. Um, I definitely had postpartum depression and. Uh, it was a, it was a similar situation. She was not sleeping at all. Um, it was nightmare to get her to sleep. And, uh, I also don't remember a lot of her childhood, th- those early years, it's like completely blocked out. So let's talk about postpartum depression now that we've gotten real. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: I have worked with clients on a sp- spectrum of like the range of postpartum depression. So it can go anywhere from like baby blues to psychosis. I had one client who was dealing with postpartum psychosis. Um, I will reiterate, I really do think that sleep is one of the top two factors. Um, Sleep deprivation is a form of torture for a reason. Um, And when, when, when we live in a culture that is that each individual family is siloed and just alone, um, especially in a time where sleep is minimal and all of the stressors are high. Like it doesn't surprise me that there are so many individuals who, um, struggle are diagnosed, et cetera. Um, there's also been an indication that thyroid uh, health or underfunctioning thyroid, sometimes even hyper-functioning, hyper-functioning thyroid can be a contributing factor. Um, I think that for one, I wanna echo what Corey said. If there's someone who is, like, if you are crying uh, about like taking your child, like taking care of your child, if you're having thoughts where you think your baby would be better off without you, like their life would be better if you didn't exist. If, if you're having these chasm dreams, like these are all symptoms of something that's off. If it's not postpartum depression, it's something. Um, and so there is absolutely no shame in asking for help and to like it. I hope that you can understand the requirement that there is for you to get help. Like there are postpartum doulas doing their job because they, they were people who dealt with postpartum depression because of lack of sleep. Like I worked with so many overnight clients in order to let the parents sleep because they didn't have support in that way. Um, I've also like, if you are someone who has the capacity to Volunteer and help a new parent in that way. There was um, a friend of mine who had twins a few years ago, and we knew of a nurse. And our friend, who was a nurse, for the first like month, would go over three or four nights a week to help my friend and her husband with their twins because that was that's a whole new ball game, right? Um, so. Sleep is huge. Fatty acid balance is really huge as well. Um, and then thyroid health. Those those are like the first three things that I would consider. Um, if we want to try and support the body without having to use medication, um, I do think that medication is necessary in certain circumstances. Like my client who had postpartum psychosis, like I, I will add, though, that her psychiatrist was not going to medicate her unless she was having sleep each night because you can undo what the medication is doing with lack of sleep. And so the reason she hired me was to take care of her baby in the evening so that she could sleep in order to get the medication that she needed. Um, and so even then, a psychiatrist sees how important that this the nature of needing sleep is in this uh, realm. Um, I don't think that medication is a, a negative road to take. I do think that there are many physicians who jump to that too quickly. Um, and there there are side effects of medication, and there are consequences, good and bad. And so um, weighing those options carefully, like counting the cost is important. Um, and so unless, unless this, the case is extreme like that of my client, I would start with how can we optimize sleep? How can we optimize what you're eating? Like let's not eat these, let's not live on coffee all day long. Cause that's one huge thing with new moms, right? We need to eliminate coffee and your addiction to caffeine to be able to function. Um, let's, let's have nourishing foods that will support mental health that will support gut health, which supports mental health. Um, maybe get thyroid testing done to see if that could be a contributing factor. And then like, if none of those work, potentially look at medication, um, I haven't seen an instance apart from the extremes where these other factors were not helpful. I will also add that this is not medical advice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please consult your healthcare practitioner. <laughs>
0: Nobody get mad at anybody here. Don't send us emails.
1: <laughs> Talk to Love your doctor. You.
0: <laughs> I think that's really good advice. Um, I do think there's such a stigma around around uh, the postpartum era. Not only, I mean, we touched on the you know you got to get back got, get your body back and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. which is gross, but. Um, <laughs> the, that it's this is supposed to be the most joyful time of your life and you know everybody in the grocery says store says oh just enjoy it while it lasts it'll be over so, so which is true it will be over very quickly but when you're stuck in the middle of that it's not the over days they're
1: long
2: yeah yeah. That's yeah. What isn't is there
1: a quote? Yeah, I think we were about to say the same <laughs> quote. I think it goes something along the lines of the the years go fast and the days go so slow. Yeah. Something like
2: days are long and the years are fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I believe that you don't truly understand what that quote means until you have more kids. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, Something about two and three and, poss- you know, four that just makes the years go by really fast. Yeah,
0: really fast. Well,
2: I've just started to, like, be really intentional about – not just started. That sounds terrible. But, like, having my third child and watching her grow year by year, it has – it has instilled in me like the understanding of those comments from the people at the grocery store. And it's it, like, I get it. And so I'm, I'm cherishing th- these moments. Like this is the last time I'm going to have a three-year-old sitting on my lap. Like my three-year-old, this is the last time that she's going to come over here and tell me she loves me. And I'm the best mama in the oh. whole world. Like, like I, I'm, I'm trying to take in all of these moments because I know that I'm not having any more children. And I see how quickly it is. Like my firstborn's going to be seven this year. And I, am, my mind is blown. Like, how are you seven? You were just born yesterday. But um, the comments aren't helpful in the moment, but I think that there's seeds that we'll learn to appreciate. I think it, it, we should be told, maybe not as often as we are, <laughs> but it's good to know. Like to have that in our mind somewhere to cherish those moments because if, if we don't, then when we're in the middle of it and things are really hard, the, like what do we cling to? Like it helps to center us and give us an appreciation for those hard moments. Um, so it's helpful, but also not helpful in my opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do need to find those moments to hide in our hearts though. I think yeah. that's that is important. I actually agree. So I think that with my th- third baby is when I really did start to appreciate that. And I did have another one too, but you know, I think for whatever reason it's the third one, really, really made me realize that the other they're just they do. They grow up so fast. Oh.
2: <laughs> maybe that's why the last baby is always seen as the favorite because the parents are like you're my last and they start to cherish things differently
1: we're also just
0: more tired and they get away with more
1: (laughs) yeah that's true that's definitely true I don't know I have decision
0: fatigue and I can't say no anymore (laughs) do
1: what you want okay
0: (laughs) sure have the cookie and watch the TV show don't care
1: (laughs) Oh, man, I've I've have felt that I have been a completely different parent with my third than I was with the first two. I mean, totally, totally different. And also just age wise. I mean, I am, you know, I was seven years older, so just wiser and more mature and calmer in a sense, more regulated. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I did ask my husband at one point, like, are we getting better at this? Or are these babies just easier? (laughs) And they may have been easier because those last two were the Weston Price babies. So,
2: Or are we getting lazier?
0: Okay, maybe that's an option too. (laughs) Oh, man. I am so thankful that you um, set away some time for us tonight. I really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. Is there anything else that you want to add or say about postpartum? (sighs)
2: Sleep with your baby topless and eat all the good food and make everyone do everything for you
1: perfect amen to that <laughs> we might need to add some explicit warning to this one. <laughs> we sorry toplessness a lot <laughs>
0: breast topless what else can we throw out there yeah um my mom always well, said that body parts are not bad words
1: no no <laughs> yeah um, it's not Mardi I mean, Gras
2: over here, okay?
1: Isn't that the truth? No one wants not to. Not at all. Speak <laughs> 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 okay, so <laughs> I would just like to add that Nina works with uh i was gonna say breastfeeding moms she does work with breastfeeding moms she also works with postpartum moms so if you are uh, interested in seeking support if you're local to dallas or she can also help you virtually um look her up at mamawheel.com.org mamawheel.org and on
0: Instagram right at mamawheel yes okay. and yes.
1: on Instagram at mamawheel and Thank seriously her
0: Instagram is worth the follow it's really great
1: definitely it's very fun yep so informative thanks right. for listening
0: everybody ciao thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas check out the show notes for the resources you can find Christine on Instagram at NourishTheLittles and online at NourishTheLittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at for Sake and online at ForNutrientsSake.com. Follow us on Instagram at ModernAncestralMamas.
1: Information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.